our God will never fail. Amen? Amen. Well, it is good to see you all this beautiful cold morning. I know some of you are thinking, this isn't cold, but to me, it's, it's cold already. It's, I just don't like the cold. That's just me. Well, it is, again, a pleasure to see you this morning. We are going to, as I said, continue in our series on First Peter, Hope in a Pandemic. And today, we're going to be looking at a segment where we're titling it, Being a Blessing in Suffering. Being a Blessing in Suffering. So if you would turn your hearts with me to prayer, and then we will dive into the word of the Lord together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for this time that we have to come to your word and to be transformed. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will use this time, not just for education where we learn something new and put it on the shelf, but may it be a time of transformation. God, we ask to be changed because your word is changing. Your word is transformative in our lives. It changes us. So may we be changed in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, many of you might not be able to believe this, but when I was a kid, I was full of energy. I was one of those, yeah, you, you probably can't believe that at all. I was one of those kids that would just run around and, and would get into all kinds of things. When my dad was a pastor, I'd run around the sanctuary, and uh, I, this is a confession that I have. After communion, and there were still communion cups in the communion, and I would drink them because I love grape juice, I confess. Uh, but the reality is, is if you've seen my son Liam or if you saw MJ when he was younger, that was the epitome of young little Marvin. Because my dad's name's Marvin, I was always called little Marvin. I was a ball of energy. And I remember whenever I'd go over to someone's house, if it was my aunt's or my grandmother's or a friend's house, my mom would always stop and say these words. Now, little Marvin, be a blessing. Be a blessing when you're there. And as a little kid, I'm like, I have no idea what that means. Like, I walk in the house and I say, bless you, right? I, I didn't understand what it meant. But as an adult now, I get that, that what that was was, you know what, just be calm. Be, be nice. Don't get into too many things. Don't break stuff. Be a blessing where people want you to come back to their house right? And so I get that. Now, I, I say that to my own child. And I share that story because, you know, when we look at Scripture, we see that we as believers are called to be a blessing. As believers, we are called to be a blessing to this world. We're called to be a blessing to this world, and we're going to be looking at Scripture that says that we are a blessing to this world, and that's point number one. As believers, we are called to be a blessing to this world. Look at what Clowney, a commentator, says. He said, God calls us to be heirs of His blessing, and we see that in verse 9 as we will read in a little bit, and that calling commits us to a life of blessing, a life that responds to the free grace of God. Now, we look at the story in 1 Peter, the, the narrative of what was going on, and we remember that we are, are seeing a suffering church. 
that Peter is talking to a church in the midst of persecution. And every Sunday as we go through this book of 1 Peter, we have to be reminded of that fact. Because when we read the scriptures, we have to put our minds through the lens that Peter is talking to a persecuted church. And here he is calling this church, the early church, to be a blessing to one another and to be a blessing to the world. And if the early church was called to be a blessing in the midst of suffering, how much more are we called to be a blessing in the midst of suffering? So the question that we will answer from the scripture today is how can we be a blessing during suffering? How can we be a blessing during suffering? That doesn't seem like we could really do that. We're more more likely to focus on our own situation rather than being a people of blessing. But I, cha- I will share with you how we can be a blessing. So we're going to read what I like to call biblical calisthenics. We're going to be going through the scripture because when we look at one segment of scripture, we have to see how does the rest of scripture come around this and envelop this truth so that we can know that it's not just Peter talking, but it's the entirety of scripture that God is breathing into these words. So we'll start with Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Romans 12, 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. 1 Corinthians 4, 12. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Galatians 5.23 Gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Ephesians 4.2 With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Philippians 2.3 Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone probably see a pattern. Finally, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. He says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to do this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So how do we be a blessing in the midst of suffering? 
Peter now gives a summary of the characteristics which we should express in our relationships with every person who comes into our lives, especially those who are brothers and sisters. This passage, I believe, answers the question. And these other passages that, that come around it and prove what Peter is saying, I believe they answer the question, how can we be a blessing in suffering. And we see these characteristics that Peter gives, and we're going to land a lot in verse 8, because there's a lot of words that, that Peter gives to the early church on how to be a blessing. And then out of those words and out of these passages, we can see six characteristics that you and I are to apply to our lives in order to be a blessing in the middle of suffering. A blessing to everyone, but especially a blessing to one another. And the first characteristic is that of harmony. Being a blessing is purposely pursuing harmonious unity. In order for us to be a blessing, we need to purposely pursue harmonious unity. It's a vital piece of our belief as brothers and sisters that we are living in harmony together. That we are seeking to be on the same page. Look at the early church. If they were not on the same page in the midst of their persecution, there wouldn't have been the unity. There wouldn't have been this connectedness. There wouldn't have been this mission of purpose of spreading the gospel. Because if they were saying, well, no, it's about us. We need to remain safe. We need to huddle together in our little hovels. And we need to, to stick together in these buildings, in these buildings alone. And we need to just not go out into the world. But then there were those other ones that say, no, we need to go out. We need to go do these things. That unity would have continued to clash. And here Peter is saying, listen, be in harmony with one another. Be on mission. Live purposely for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Greek word here that we see is homophron, which means harmony. It brings about this idea of music. Now, when music is in harmony, when you have all different voices and all different instruments and all different types of diverse people coming together to sing the same song, when harmony happens, the listeners are blessed. But if harmony is not happening, if harmony in the midst of, of that, that song is not happening, where someone is playing the wrong notes, when someone is on a different song, when someone is singing off-key, it's a little bit distracting. It's one of those things where you're like, oh, that just, oh, please stop that song. Right? It doesn't feel good as a listener. And I'm sure even some of the musicians who are on time and doing the right thing, they're feeling uncomfortable too because they're like, this does not sound good at all. Harmony is key. And when we see this idea of harmony in the church, the listeners to the church are unbelievers. And when we're out of harmony, when we're not singing on the same page, when, you're, when we are not walking in this harmonious unity, the world hears a really bad song. I don't know about you, but I don't want to sing a bad song. I'm not a singer, but you know what? God says make a joyful noise and he'll make it sound beautiful. When we are walking in unity, we will see that we are a blessing to the world. Warren Wearsby does remind us that unity does not mean uniformity. It means cooperation in the midst of diversity. It's not uniformity. Because everyone in that music, in that song, can't play the same exact thing. 
Because there needs to be a harmony, the harmonious unity that comes alongside. But there is a cooperation saying, you know what? I'm playing this different riff. I'm playing these different chords. I'm singing in this harmony, in this key. We can come together in the midst of our diversity. It's not uniformity. You and I are not always going to agree on every single thing. You are not always going to agree with everything that the elders or the business board or your Sunday school teacher says or does. But there can be unity in the midst of that diversity. Cooperation where we say, you know what, the main mission is to proclaim Jesus Christ and what we need to do to do that together is not necessarily in a uniform, but it's in unity. We need to cooperate together. The term is intended to convey a unity of aim and purpose, a oneness in attitude. A oneness in attitude. Is our attitude one. As we look at our goal as a church, are we living in harmonious unity? And sometimes there might be a hindrance where you have a grievance or a grudge against your brother or sister. And Jesus in the book of Matthew, our, our kids are going through in, in uh, Bible quizzing, they're going through the book of Matthew. And we just got to the place where it says, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, if you go and offer a sacrifice to the Lord and there realize that you have a problem with your brother or sister, leave the sacrifice at the altar and go get right with your brother or sister. Because if you're not right with them, this offering that you are giving will not be acceptable. Pretty powerful words. When we come to worship the Lord, when we come to pray, remember, his eyes are on the righteous, Peter reminds us. But if we're not right, if we're not walking in uniformity and in unity, our prayers might not go heard. They might be unheard. And so we need to have this harmonious unity together. Hillier, a commentator, says, It is God's desire for us to be growing continually in a unity of the faith and a unity of the knowledge of Jesus Christ so that we may grow into maturity to become more and more like Jesus Christ himself. When you and I are seeking to be people of division, when we're not trying to wrap around the idea of harmonious unity, when we're looking at things and holding a grudge and we're saying, that's not the way I want to do it, I'm not going to follow that, I'm going to cause division, I'm going to stir up people and rile them up, I'm going to take my toys and leave because it's not happening the way I want it to happen. You know what that's a sign of? It's a sign of spiritual immaturity. Spiritual immaturity. That's exactly what it is. But we might think in our minds, you know what, I'm right. This is what we need to do. This is the goal. And, and this is my way. It's my agenda. And I know it's right because I've had all kinds of experience. And so I know that I'm the right one. But if we're causing and stirring up division, it's a sign of spiritual immaturity. Our goal as believers is to have a harmonious unity where we can go forward in this world and proclaim the gospel because we're developing a song. And it's, if it's out of harmony, it will sound bad. Job's, I love how they describe this particular passage. Like-mindedness implies a willingness to conform one's goals, needs, and expectations to the purposes of the larger group. The disciples said, church, we're going this way. 
Church, this is where we need to go. Church, we're proclaiming and preaching the gospel, the truth of it. We need to move out. We need to go and we need to bring the gospel to people. Whether we're being persecuted or not, whether we will be killed for sharing the gospel, it doesn't matter. We need to go forward. Imagine, if you will, we saw Peter and Paul writing to the churches because people were stirring up division. They were hindering the church from doing its work. And then those pastors and those elders stepped in and they read this, these, these letters to the church and we saw correction happen. We saw change happen and we saw the gospel move in power. We must seek harmonious unity. In this passage, I said there are six characteristics. The first is that of harmony, 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 excuse me, and the next is that of sympathy. Because being a blessing is rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Peter is using the Greek word sympathes, which gives us the word sympathy. Sympathy is seeking to walk alongside. Seeking to see what is going on in the life of my brother or the life of my sister. How can I have sympathy for their particular situation? Because the church, when they were being persecuted, when they were suffering, they were suffering together. Even if someone wasn't being persecuted at their job, even if someone wasn't being beaten for their faith, and they were kind of just sitting there relaxed a little bit more than the rest of the church, they were weeping with those who were weeping. They were going into the lives of those who were suffering, and they were praying with them, and they were weeping with them. And when great things would happen in the gospel, they would rejoice together. Like when we see a great outreach of our church, when we're moving forward and we see new people joining our church, we see new people coming to faith, we see people being baptized, those are things that we need to rejoice over and we need to rejoice together. When we see someone who God is blessing, who they get the promotion, we rejoice with them. But when someone is in trouble and they're suffering and they're in pain, we need to walk alongside them with sympathies and we need to weep with them. And be there for them. Clowney states, The love that binds the body of Christ together not only seeks the other's good, but enters into the other's needs and concerns. Because the truly sympathetic attitude is the antithesis of selfishness. When we are walking in sympathies, as Peter calls us to, it is a deep word. It's hard to, to really grasp these Greek words, because when he uses these Greek words, they see an entire word picture when we only see a word. But this idea of sympathies is saying, you know what, I'm going to set aside myself, my agenda, my time. I wanted to go to, to the store. Maybe you were planning on going to Walmart and someone calls you and says, could you please come with me? There was a death in my family. And I've seen people do that in our church where people, where we see some of these families going through some of the pain that we've seen in our church in the last year. And I've seen people drop everything and go to those people's houses just to be with them. Thank you for weeping with those who weep. Thank you for walking in sympathies. But we are all called to walk in sympathy. But biblical sympathy is not pity, but rather purposeful understanding. It's not coming alongside them and say, oh, I pity your situation. Oh, you're so pitiful right now. That's not biblical sympathy. Biblical sympathy is sitting with someone and saying, tell me about it. What's really going on? Are you okay? 
Explain the pain. I'm here with you. I might not even talk, but I'm going to be present alongside you. It's very plain. Peter instructs us to be sympathetic or compassionate toward one another. To be compassionate towards one another. What is going on in one another's lives? And those of us who like to keep things close to the vest, we need to allow our brothers and sisters to walk in compassion and sympathy with us. I know many of us fear that, oh, I pity you type of attitude. But we need to invite people into our pain and our suffering so that we can receive the sympathy that the Holy Spirit brings through our brother or through our sister. Maybe you're driving sometimes and and you have this thought, I should call so-and-so, right? That very well might be the Holy Spirit saying, call so-and-so. I would say probably 90% of the time, if it's just super random and you're driving or you're doing something, you know, and, and Dave Cavill comes to mind and you have this sense, I need to call Dave. You know what? Just do it. Call him. Call the person that the Holy Spirit puts upon your heart. You might not ever know the impact that that call could have on that person's life. We are to love and walk in sympathy with one another because being a blessing is rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. The third characteristic that we see is that of brotherly love. Love always leads to blessing. When we love one another, it will always lead to blessing. Because when we truly love one another, it will be super easy for us to live in harmony. When we truly love one another, it will be super easy for us to walk in compassion, to walk alongside one another. If those responses are not happening in our lives, we must really ask the question, am I walking in brotherly love? The word that he uses is phileo. It is that brotherly love, that that love of knowing, seeking to walk alongside, that love that cares, that love that asks the questions, that love that sits and is present with other people. That love is powerful. And here Peter is saying to the early church, walk in phileo, walk in this brotherly love, be there for one another. Because if the early church was not there for one another, they probably would have broken down. They probably would have wrestled with the suffering in silence. And they would not have been as forward thinking because they would be inward thinking and inward focus, but they locked arms together as the church in brotherly love and walked together. Hillier reminds us, the vertical relationship, God's love for men and women in Christ creates a horizontal relationship, the love between those who know themselves to be the objects of divine love. In order to live in love, In order to walk in the love that we see that Peter is calling the early church to, we need to remember the love of the Father for us. We need to remember that we have the free grace that God has given us. We need to remind ourselves of the divine love, that reckless love that God gives to us. When we didn't deserve it, he still loved us. We didn't earn God's love. Your brother or sister does not have to, does not have to earn your love. It is something that we should freely give. Something we should freely give. The fourth characteristic is that of tenderness. Tender-hearted compassion brings blessing beyond belief. Tender-hearted compassion brings blessing beyond 
relief. Now, here's why we have to rest in this one verse to understand these words. The Greek word for tenderness is a very interesting word. It actually means healthy intestines. You're like, what? <laughs> what is the church? Why, why do they need to have? Well, we know why we need to have healthy intestines. But what does that have to do with tenderness? Well, if you think about the Greco-Roman world, the Greco-Roman said, you know, guts and glory. That's what it's all about. It's about your guts that gets you through courageously. But in this Jewish understanding with this Greek word, what he was saying is your guts are supposed to be tender towards one another. It's not about yourself and your courage. It's about the other person. It's about caring about them. It's about taking care of them, having a deep tenderness towards them. You know, many times our hearts can be hard. Our intestines can be blocked. <laughs> but we are to love one another with a tenderness that cares. You could tell when someone is being tender and when someone is being firm. As parents, it's really hard to figure out the balance. When am I supposed to be tender to my child? And when am I supposed to be firm? But here we're called to tenderness with one another. Where we have a tender heart. Where our heart breaks when our brother or sister's heart breaks. Where we're soft and loving and caring. It's an interesting phrase. Hillier states this. They must be compassionate, tender-hearted, Caring deeply for one another. A powerful and rich term in the Greek for which there is no adequate English translation. All of the emotions are involved. Another sense of healthy intestines is that your whole body, your whole being, your whole person, your whole heart is leaned toward tenderness towards your brother or sister. And it's a constant thing where we are continually tender towards one another, where we are continually paying attention and caring for one another. Peter is calling for an, an all-in tender-heartedness towards one another. Again, we see six characteristics of being a blessing during suffering, and the fifth characteristic is that of humility, because blessing easily flows from the humble heart. We're called to be humble. We're called to walk in humility. And if we are to be compassionate and sympathetic with one another, if we are to walk alongside one another, we have to walk in humility. Because if it's all about us, if we walk in selfishness rather than humility, we're not going to care about what's going on in the other people's lives. We are going to care about what's going on in our lives. And we're going to demand other people to care about what's going in our lives and say, look at me, rather than say, how can we walk together? I always say when, when two soldiers have each other's back, when they go into the, the, the battle back to back, they can know that their back is covered. They can go into that battle knowing that, you know what, I'm not going to get shot in the back because my brother is watching my back. And I'm watching my brother's back. And that is that sense of humility because we could pay attention to ourselves really simply, but we are called to have each other's back. We're called to walk in this battle against the enemy together through humility, caring about the other person. 
This idea is promoted throughout Scripture. We see this idea of humility. We see this idea of walking away from selfishness and into care of other people. It is all throughout the Scriptures. It is a vital piece for us to grasp as a body of believers. (laughs) What's interesting is the Greek believers would have seen humility as weakness. Remember, their idea of their intestines was guts and glory. Here, he's saying, you know what, your idea of your tenderheartedness is humility. It's about other people. The Greco-Roman world had a story of of a guy named Narcissus. That's where we get our word narcissism. Right? Narcissus was a story that was, it was a warning against being too selfish, but it was also a statement of saying you need to be selfish enough. But we need to be humil- humble, walking in humility rather than selfishness. The sixth characteristic is that of blessing. Because God's goodness gives the believer freedom to bless instead of curse. God's goodness gives the believer freedom to bless instead of curse. Clowney reminds us, Christians are free from vindictiveness because they trust God's justice. But they are free for blessing because they know the goodness of God. You and I are taken away from the chains of selfishness, the chains that sin binds us in, and we have the grace and the ability to be good towards one another. We have the grace and the ability to be a blessing. You and I are called to be a blessing. You may not realize this, but Israel was also called to be a blessing to the world. Israel was to show who God the Father was and invite them into the family of Israel. That was one of the main things that that was told to Abraham, go and bless the nations. But you see, they failed at their job pretty badly. They were all about themselves. They were not walking in humility. They were not seeking to bless the world, but rather seeking to bless themselves. But you and I, because we see the goodness of Christ, we see the grace of Christ, the goodness of what he has done for us, that should transform us and desire to be a blessing. Even when people are cursing us, even when people are persecuting us, we are to bring blessing. A mentor of mine reminded me of this not too long ago where I was really frustrated with some people uh, in my life. And I was saying, you know what, I just, I'm so frustrated. I don't want to pray for them. I don't want to do that. And he said, listen, start with blessing. When you think of that person, when they come to mind or those people, just say, you know what, I bless them in the name of Jesus. I bless them in the name of Jesus. And eventually you'll come to a place where you mean it. Because we could say those things and not really mean it, but we'll be so convinced by the Spirit as we say those things that our heart will become soft, our intestines will soften towards our brother or sister or someone else outside of that. One commentator stated this, This is how Christians get even. (laughs) They pay evil with good and insults with blessing. Point number 10, believers get even by paying back evil with good and insults with blessing. Man, that is so opposite of our world. This is why it brings about this this view of harmony. Because it's odd. 
As I said many times before, Peter is calling this church to hope, even in the midst of persecution. He's calling the church to hope, and that is weird, because they were being murdered. And we see in Acts that Peter and and John, when they were arrested and they were beaten for their faith, they come out of that and they're rejoicing, saying, Whoa, hallelujah, I just got beaten. Now that's weird. Right? People that would be standing outside and see their bruises, they'd be like, what is wrong with these people? Are they sadistic? What is wrong? But it was this idea of hope, this idea of God's goodness, and this passion to bless those who were persecuting them. Not reviling those who revile us, but blessing them. We're called to bless. We're called to be a blessing. We can choose to be a blessing in the midst of suffering. We can choose that. We see these characteristics that Peter gives us. We can walk in harmony, walk in sympathy, walk in brotherly love, walk in tenderness, walk in humility, and walk with blessing rather than cursing. But it's up to us to desire that, to say, Holy Spirit, give me the ability to do that. Bring that that person to mind, and may I call them and pray over them. May I love the people that are hard to love. May I bless those who I don't want to bless. Transform my heart. That's a prayer he loves to answer. He desires for us to walk in harmony together as a body of believers. Will we choose today to do so? My prayer is that you will. My prayer is that I will. So that the song that we sing, that we play to this world, sounds good and not bad. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love again. We can't stop thanking you for your love. It is so good. It is so good. And it is what drives us to remind ourselves that we are to love one another. It is the empowerment through the Spirit that you and I as believers can have. And Father, we thank you for that. I pray that you'll give us the resolve to walk in harmony, to walk in sympathy, brotherly love, tenderness, humility, and that we will be a blessing to this world. In your name, amen.